This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You know, you've been such an inspiration to me and, and, and millions. And so I've been a part of your shows and... And, and, and just presentations before. So I just really want to try to find that moment where I'm really connecting to you. So okay. I ask you for a little bit of grace and mercy because I want to be able to make you proud of me. <laughs> grace you have, my beloved. Grace you have. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, <laughs> my name is Kirk Franklin. And I come to give you good words. Let's go. So Good Works family, today's guest is several times over. She's a New York Times bestselling author, television producer, host, and spiritual life coach. Now, you know, man, I, I, I have to be very honest with you. I, I have seen this woman change so many, or should I say this queen? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, this queen, because we're gonna uh, acknowledge and honor the queens when they show up. We have to lay down the respect as men to be able to lift up those that are the givers of not only life, but also wisdom and understanding and power and influence. And she definitely is one of them, one of the lights that has inspired so many families, so many couples, so many individuals. And so I'm so blessed to have her here. You've seen her on Oprah. Uh, if you're a baby OG, you watch to help people change their lives on the <laughs> number one reality show, the own network. Uh, Iyanla fixed my life. And so I am so honored and blessed to have this woman with this big old beautiful smile. Y'all, if y'all could see this smile, this smile right here just melts you. It melts. All you want to do is just cuddle up with a book and uh, and submit julep and sit on her porch. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Good Words. Oh. The incomparable Iyanla Benson. Oh, thank you. Deep bow to you, my beloved, my beloved minister friend, brother. You minister to me every single day of my life. So oh. I'm honored to be here. Thank, thank you. you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Now you got me blushing. You know? <laughs> well, probably... I, told you, I told you before that I teach Hello Fear. I teach wow. that song. Yes. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. and we talked about that, which is amazing uh, that uh, you were so impressed by me writing a letter to fear. Yeah, and, yeah. And you know, what's amazing is I have to read that letter to myself often. Mm. This thing of fear that yeah. is such a crippling uh, affliction. system. Affliction. It's an affliction, yes. This disease of the spirit, right? Yeah. Uh, you being such an encourager, tell us how you walk through this this affliction. Do you ever get afraid? You know, it's it's interesting. The things that frighten me are not the things that God sends me to do. Like I can step on the stage, I can be in front of a camera, I can write a book, I can sit with a person. Those are not the things that that frighten me. Oh wow. Well, you know, as a mom, I'm always afraid that something's going to happen to my children and having lost a child to to cancer. And that feeling of powerlessness that comes over you because, of course, mom is supposed to be able to fix everything. Um, childhood fears that were implanted in my brain, fear of doing the wrong thing, fear of disappointing people, letting people down. Those are things that still 
come up for me. But, you know, they, how they say God always has a ram in the bush. So yes, my ram yes, to fear is courage, which is doing what is required before you're forced to do it. So when that fear comes up, sometimes I have to, you know, just be willing to let my kids go. And they're not children, they're adults now. Sometimes I have to be willing to look stupid or, or to, to make a mistake. So it's taking the antidote to the fear because it really is, like you said, a dis-ease. It diseases the spirit. And it's an affliction that most people carry in their minds. Um, so we, we just have to find the antidote to it. And everybody's will be different. How much prep time daily do you have to give to the preparation of your day to be able to meet their head on? Well, you know, I have a very uh, consistent, rigorous spiritual practice, a daily spiritual practice. Share some of that with us. That is interesting. That that is interesting that the teacher is, 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 is part of some, some, some personal ritual that she continues to practice. We want to know what that is. Well, you know, my grandmother, old apostolic missionary, <laughs> taught me about the quarter hours. You know, the 12 to 3 is the first quarter, 3 to 6 is the second quarter, 6 to 9 of the day, of the morning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I get up in the second quarter, which I usually get up between 4 and 4.30. And I do my breath work because breath is so important for clearing the mind. I do my reading, whatever I'm reading, usually a scripture or something inspirational. And then I do my meditation. And then I do some journaling. And I'm usually done about 5.30 and I go back to bed. (laughs) Do you? (laughs) Oh, yes. Do you? (laughs) I sure do. (laughs) How did you get your mind to calm back down so you can go back to sleep like that? Well, because I usually end with meditation, It, it calms me down. And, you know, you do something for so long, you train the body. And I train my mind to follow my heart. My heart is to serve God and to worship. And my mind just goes along with what I do. Most people do the opposite. They train their heart to follow their mind. I train my mind to follow my heart. So because the meditation is the last thing I do, you know, just sitting in stillness and quiet um, and listening, listening. For my instructions, I may get some, I may not. I may get a download, I may not. And then I go back to bed because I got to get up at 6.30. <laughs> so, 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 so then the message is, since fear is such a demon that is crippling even not only my generation, but you hear so many Gen Zs and so many millennials that are being suffocated yeah. uh, uh, with, with, the, with this issue of fear for people that do not have the real estate to wake up at 4.30. For some people who don't even know what waking up at 4.30 look like. I, I mean, <laughs> if I tried to wake up at 4.30, I would just fall out the bed into a coma. Uh, uh, um, how, how do people that have busy schedules, young people that have so many demands on them from sports to school to just trying to stay in a current state of just engagement because anxiety is at an all-time high, which is the, the relative of fear, right? How can a person be able to embrace these, these methods and methodology that you've been able to establish for yourself? Well, you know, Kirk, I, I hear what you're saying, and I know it's necessary, but we cannot expect full-time rewards for part-time devotion. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. Hold on, wait a minute, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> 
Okay. So we're going to say that one more time <laughs> just for the people in the balcony. For the people in the balcony. The balcony in the, what did you just the, say? I said, we cannot expect full-time rewards and blessings for part-time devotion. Ouch. You know, we want all of Ouch. the things that, that God has promised us and we want to have all of the things, but we don't want to do the work that's required. Mm. And the, one of the, the greatest works that the Zers, the Xers, the millennials, and the old folk like me, you got to have a relationship. Kirk, mm. I think we've been in each other's company maybe four or five times over mm. the years, but we got a relationship. Mm. Heart to heart, soul to soul. Mm. You call me, I call you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. We have a relationship. Yes, ma'am. So people want to overcome these human defects and deficiencies using the power of God, but they don't want to have a relationship with God or mm. do the work required. So that's the long um, answer. Here's the short answer. In order to really overcome fear and anxiety and uh, to move through the lures and the, and the demands of the world, you must learn the art and the science and the practice of surrender. Oh. <laughs> because, you know, Yolanda sang it, you know, the battle is not yours. But if you don't understand that there's a general in charge of the army of your life, then you'll be out there fighting battles and getting your butt kicked, and you won't understand why. <laughs> oh, so man. you have to learn the art of surrender. There's a, it actually comes out of the Catholic Church, a novena that I practice for years and years and years. And whenever anything overwhelms me, creates suffering, sorrow, strife, fear, upset, I go right into a breath and I say, Jesus, I surrender everything to you. Wow. I surrender, take care of it. You know, God, I surrender myself to you. Take care of it. Holy Spirit, I surrender my mind to you. I give you permission to take dominion over my thoughts. Take care of it. Learning how to surrender and be still and get out of the way. But again, that requires a relationship. Because if wow. I just walk up to the man in the street and say, excuse me, sir, I'm hungry. Will you feed me? He's going to look at me like I'm crazy. Wow. But I could call you and say, Kirk, I'm in trouble. I need you. That requires a relationship. So I have one more question regarding this, this subject because it's such, it is, it is such a pandemic. Yes. Fear and anxiety mm -hmm. and depression. One of the things that I know definitely that is adding to robbing us of getting that time is, is because basically you're talking about sowing and reaping. That yes. if a person uh, sows into the spiritual time, then they're going to reap what you're talking about. But, but we want to have these uh, real quick hit it and quit it spiritual <laughs> relationships and want all these intimate results. I get it. And, and I totally get it. Can you give some advice to the generation that's not, uh, uh, that's not privy to the patience that you've been able to develop? Because one thing that your generation and even my generation, even though we become uh, now victims of it, is that this robber of peace and time with God is this doggone phone. This doggone phone. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. This phone, this phone right here is robbing people of their peace. What can we do tangibly, Dr. Vincent, to be able to try to divorce ourselves from this from this addiction that is adding to the fear, to anxiety? Because see, when I started 
and even when you started your career, you couldn't see in real time what people thought about you. That's right. <laughs> you couldn't see in real time how many people were liking what you were doing. And so now it's a drug. Yeah. Everybody's a critic. Everybody's got an opinion. And so it's adding to the fear. It's adding to the anxiety. It's because I, one of my favorite uh, authors says is that uh, fear is a reflection of too much focus on self. Yes. That when I focus on you and I'm focusing mm -hmm. on others, I have less time to worry about me. Yeah. And so social media has made us more self-consumed and more selfish. Do you have anything, mother, that you can give us some advice? Please. Yeah. What can you give us that can help us with this enemy of this dog? See, and I almost want to say a bad word because, you know, every now and then I slip, but I know the saints I know, know listen, I slip. I know, okay. All the saints know now that Kirk slip. Everybody know Kirk slip now and then. I'm tired of this dog on phone, and it's robbing me of my peace. Yeah. Help us. Yeah. Well, you know what? Use the enemy's tools to your advantage. The same way you got WhatsApp and Cash App. You can download a Bible scripture that'll send you a scripture every day. You can download a motivational something that you can download something to listen to and set a reminder in your phone that when you wake up in the morning, it'll say you can do you can use it to your advantage. And see, the reason that we don't do it is because there's no consequence if we don't. Mm. And we don't understand there's a reward if we do. Mm. So if you download, like, like I got the Bible on my phone, I've got mm. just all kind of daily readings on my phone. And if you hit the app, it'll come up right with, I got Jesus calling on my phone. Mm. I got some stuff from Bishop Jake's on my phone. I got all kind of stuff. And it says daily reading. And that little box, you know, and all the little things in there, daily reading. And I do have a reminder on my phone. One is for noon, because I like to do something at noon. And another one is for three o'clock, where I just go in and read something. So use that device and the thing, uh, the very thing that takes you away, use it to support you in going deeper into your practice. Five minutes. Five If you can't give yourself five <laughs> minutes of 24 hours, then your life is totally out of order. Oh. Out of order. What was your journey, First Lady? Mm. To becoming this, <laughs> this Ianla that we just listened to right now, dropping these jewels, giving these nuggets, the journey of the woman we know now today who helps others grow and heal from trauma, how did this begin hmm. for you? You know, a, a number of years ago, Dr. Cornell West asked me a question that literally not only crystallized my purpose in life, but also answered that question. Dr. Wes asked me, he said, what is your purpose? And who are the people that sold into your purpose? And what did they sell? So I always knew my purpose. I am a teacher. And from the oldest definition of a teaching, I'm an educator. And to educate means to draw out, not to put in. This country has a wrong perspective of education. Mm. They want to put stuff in and make you memorize it. That's mm -hmm. not education. Mm. Edu, it means to with withdraw. So I always knew I was an educator and a healer mm. or I had healing gifts. I wanted to be a nurse, mm. but I got pregnant at 16, so I didn't make it to nursing school. Mm. Mm. But what, what people sold into my purpose, Kirk, was pain. Whoa, wait People a minute. People sold wait pain into my purpose. Give us so some that, more of that. Give okay. us some more. What? What? 
What? Because my purpose was to educate, to draw out. And you teach what you need to learn. So I had to learn about my power, my value, my worth. I had to learn about um, obedience to self. I had to learn about discipline. I had to learn those things. And so I had an opportunity to also learn anger and resistance and rebellion and, and all of those things based on the pain that I was in. But people sowed pain into me. One personal is what my soul needed so that I would learn the skills, the tools, the process to eliminate my own suffering so that I could teach it to other people. Now, that may seem like the long way around, no. but I wouldn't have had it any other way. No, no. There's very few things that cause pain in life that I haven't. I've never been shot. I've never been stabbed. Everything else, it's, I've been I think that. I think that every person that has been able to have an impact on humanity, they've they've come from deep waters. Yeah, and 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 I know that that's not the that's not the American uh, 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 staple of of being able to communicate because it's all about it's quick success and material advance. But those that have really changed the trajectory of mankind, they didn't come from the baby pool. No, no. They didn't come from the baby pool. They, they, yeah. they, were, they were swimming in water that they got thrown into. I identify with it. And I want to ask in this space, uh, and at, at the risk as a male, not wanting to sound sexist, do you think that that's why your voice has been such a beacon, mostly for women? I think in society, there has been this constant overlooking and this 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 authoritarian leadership that has been most male-led within our society that has not always benefited mm -hmm. the creators of life. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. do you think that because you came from those deep waters, you were able to impact so many women? I believe so because like draws like. And I represent the two bodies of women the two cultures of women, Native American as a Cherokee and African American as a, as a descendant of Dahomean people. Um, I represent the two uh, communities of women that have been most demeaned, diminished, overlooked, and denied, Black women and Native women. I mean, Native women are still just finding their voice in the world. So like draws like. And so I could speak to my sister women, Black women, Native women, and Latin women you know, in a way that nobody else can because they couldn't lie to me. I've been there. Yeah. I've done that, yeah. you know. Yeah. I know what it feels like, what it looks like, what it sounds like. And because path of my learning and healing was pain, I had to really get down in some of those places and examine, you know, what was really going on so that I could draw out of myself what was required for my healing. Mm. And so I can do that with women. I've been so, I've been fortunate enough to have the courage to be transparent and vulnerable. So my sisters trust me. They trust me, you know, and, and that, is a, that is a grace that humbles me because people are very untrusting today. Yes. So when yes. I say something, they know that 
I'm speaking it from a place of love, even if I'm speaking it in Brooklynese, which is loud and rough. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but they trust that I, I have their best interests at heart. But more and more brothers, more and more men are starting to listen and, and, and good. And I think it's, you know, coming forward. I think it's good because I think they realize I don't want anything from them. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not making them wrong. Yeah. You know, the doctor doesn't scream at you when you bleed on his shoes. Yeah. So I think brothers feel safe with me too and trust me also. So that's a blessing. It's humbling and it's a blessing. What is the method that you use, Doc? When you're talking to men to get them to step out of that, you know, <laughs> I ain't going to no therapist. I ain't going to let nobody tell me nothing. I ain't talking about my daddy. You ain't going to be talking about what happened to me when I was a boy. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like what, what methodology do you use to be able to get past that hard shell with men that maybe even uh, a, a woman listening now that may have a man in her life that she's trying to get past that shell Mm-hmm. How how do you get to that space where you can be able to get men to trust you? Well, it's it's my gift. It's, it's totally in the purview of the Holy Spirit. And my gift is that I know how to speak from my heart to a heart because heart language is very different. And particularly for men, um, their heart language is very different. It's, it's, it's really, number one, I speak what I hear in the moment. Mm-hmm. So I don't go in with a script or a prescription. Mm-hmm. I'm going to meet you where you are. I'm going to meet Billy where he is. I'm going to meet Kenyatta where he is. I love these names. <laughs> I love these names. <laughs> I'm going to meet Brandon where he is because that's what the Holy Spirit guides me to do. And the other thing is I have no attachment to the outcome. One of the mistakes that I think women make very often in our relationships and interactions with men is that we go into the communication or the interaction knowing what we want to happen at the, at the end. So we go in with an outcome in mind, and we're usually attached to that outcome. And our methodology, if you will, will be to maneuver and move men to where we think they should be or where they want to be. And I go in with no attachment and no agenda. And that's a learned skill. Just as a coach, uh, that's a learned skill. So I think that's why men feel safe with me, uh, because I have no agenda. I don't want anything from you. I'm not attached to what it looks like. I'm going to go with you wherever you go, and I'm going to lead you by your heart, not by your head. I don't care about your head. (laughs) Give Give me three quick points that a woman can use to be able to get to the heart of her man if they're in a relationship or an experience right now where those hearts have gotten cold and she may want to try to help him be able to open up. Is there any quick little points that you can give a, a woman that's in a man's life that she really wants to get to that core and, and to help him through his darkness? Get up every morning and pray for him. That's number one. And if he goes to sleep before you stand at the side of the bed, Put your hands on your heart and pray over him. Women stop praying for their their partners, their mothers, their husbands. That's number one, because you can't do nothing. God can do it. But if you're not even praying for him, not for what you want for him, but for what God has for him, Mm. pray for him. That's number one. 
Number two, when you're dealing with a man or when you're working with your partner, even your son, drop below your neck. <laughs> Let me tell you what that means. That means drop all of your energy into your body, even if you have to move your body, move your hips, move your shoulders. When you're talking to a man, he may think you're crazy, but that's okay. He thinks you're crazy anyway. So <laughs> I want women to get out of their heads. Pray for him. That's number one. Number two, uh, when you're working with a man, drop below the neck. Get in your body so that you can speak from your heart, not from your head. And number three, let him know that you respect his thoughts. Just Ask for, tell me more about that. Not how you going to do that. Tell me more about that. <laughs> and what can we do as men to lean into our own healing? I know for a fact that men have been guilty of wanting women to save our day, wanting women to build, <laughs> to, to, to build us up, and then they leave depleted, and they have no internal value that it's been reciprocal. So yeah. what can men do? to help build themselves up and to help lean into our own healing so that we don't look at y'all always as baby Jesus. Although, <laughs> although, although. That we have a Jesus complex. <laughs> we, we really do. <laughs> but, but, but what can we do? You know what? That's hard, Kirk, because I've never been a man. So I, I don't want to be arrogant enough to speak for what men need to do. I really don't. But, but just in your own experience, what, though, just, just here are the three yeah. things that I that I find so attractive and, and forgive me, sexy in a man. Come on, <laughs> come, okay, on come, come on, on now. Come on now. <laughs> Number one is integrity. Yeah. That you do what you say you're gonna do when you say you're gonna do it, and you don't make excuses when you don't. Yeah. You own that you violated an agreement, a commitment, or whatever. Integrity is important for me. Yes, yes. And integrity also means that what you say, what you feel, what you think, and what you do are all in alignment. Yes. Because very often a man will say one thing, he feels something else, and then he does something altogether different. And that frightens a woman. Mm. I, I, I think mm. very often men think women are angry when the truth is we're frightened. Wow. We're frightened that we can't trust you with our heart. We're frightened that you're going to disappoint us again. We're frightened that you're going to leave. Wow. We're frightened that we're not enough for you. And it comes out as anger. So when a man has integrity, and I know that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, when yes. you say you're going to do it with yes. no excuses, and that what you're saying to me is in alignment with what you're feeling in your behavior, that to me is sexy. You got, me. you got me then. The other thing is accountability. Mm -hmm. I think many men don't own their shortcomings, don't own their missteps, don't own their own needs and desires and stuff. And so they're not accountable to anybody for their behavior. And a man who is not accountable to anyone is a danger to himself and everyone else. I agree. A I man agree. has to be accountable to something. And there's too many brothers out here particularly the young brothers who didn't grow up with a father, they ain't accountable to nobody. Yes. So they think they can do and say anything yes. they want to, be anything. No, 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 yes. no, no, no. You're yes. a danger. I'm running from you. Yes. I am running from you. Yes. And, yes. and the other thing I, I think, you know, is, is very powerful for a man 
And 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 I think men do it. They just don't always know how to communicate it, so it frightens women. Is he's got to take time to be with himself, to listen to his own thoughts and record them. <laughs> you yeah. got to... Brothers need to know what's going on in their own mind, and some of them don't. Mm. <laughs> some of them have no dominion in their own mind, and they're just out here, just, you know, drawn everywhere. So those are the three things for me, integrity, accountability, and a man who takes time out of his lights for himself to take himself in hand. When I, um, when I made the mistake... Um, of losing my temper with my oldest son is 34. One of Why? the reasons- Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold, hold on, on. Hold, on hold on, let me Why just say this. Why was that a mistake? Hold Why on. Why was that a mistake? Oh my goodness, this woman <laughs> is something else. She is something else. I love I this. I just wanted so, to know why is the mistake from your perspective? Well, 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 it's because the reason why I say that it was a mistake is because I know that there are many people in my community that did not see anything wrong with what I did. And what I wanted them to understand is that I did not want to normalize that level of language with my son. It's because I know that it's accepted within the framework of the Black experience and Black culture, you know, that, that, that there are some people that believe, well, <laughs> your mom and granddaddy didn't love you if they, if they had a cuss you every now and then. And I just think that on certain levels that that's problematic for us as a people is that, is that I, I did not speak in a, in, in a context that reflected the man that I desire to be. And that I also want to apologize also because I wanted to say to my community and especially the community of faith is that there's a bar and I'm not the bar, but there's a bar. And, 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 and there's a, a bar that a heavenly father desires his children to aspire to be. And I wanted people to know that I did not reached that bar and how I communicated to him. And I wanted to acknowledge that so that I would not normalize that language for a generation that has followed me and supported me when they may have seasons of frustration with their offsprings. And so that's why, in my humble opinion, that's why it was important for me to offer that public apology. I appreciated that. I appreciated the apology. But can I now? I'm strange. I'm Come on, from give Brooklyn. it to me. No, okay. no, 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 no. I eat the I do eat the tip of yourself. Do I eat the tip of my chicken wing first. <laughs> I eat the tip first. You do not have to edit yourself. Give it to I me. I was so. I don't want to say delighted. That's not the appropriate word. There's a word. I'm not sure what it is. I was so happy for you that you gave yourself permission to have those feelings. And that experience. I get what you said about the apology and everything, but you're a dad. Yeah. And in that moment, yeah. your baby boy was had disappointed you, maybe yeah. betrayed. I don't know yes. the details. Yeah. No, 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 no. You're, I didn't you're, see Kirk Franklin that ministers right. to me every morning having that moment. I saw my brother Kirk, the father, the husband, wow. in a moment of frustration, who gave himself permission to go there and wow. then was humble enough and mature enough to come back and self-correct. Wow. So I was glad you had the moment. I'm sorry it was public. And, yeah. you know, I can talk to you about some other things about that later. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know what? Because, Kirk, we as public people are put up on a pedestal and the people that have put us there will snatch us down at any moment. Amen. Amen. And 
And Amen. we have to give ourselves permission to be human. Amen. We have Amen. to. Amen. Now, not every day. I, I've never seen it in all these years. I, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. That's none of my business. But Kirk, I was so happy that as a daddy, mm. that wasn't that wasn't the Grammy win, my, winner. Wow. That wasn't the, <clears throat> the the public personality. Daddy was getting down with his son yes, in that man. moment, and I'm glad that you gave yourself permission and. I accept and respect your awareness that there needed to be a public apology. I, wow. I accept that. Wow. So you I see cry. it differently. No, no. No, no, no. No, no. no. You got to have those moments. That otherwise, is, that is beautiful. They, that, the, otherwise, we're living in this inauthentic yeah. moment. Yes. We're living in this inauthentic moment. And, you know, so many of us, Michael Jackson, Prince, yeah. Phyllis Hyman, mm -hmm. so many of us have died yes. living one way in the public and sneaking around in the dark on the other side. It's inauthenticity and it causes suffering and suffering will kill you. <laughs> now, if you do it again, I'm going to bring it to my house <laughs> and whip your butt. But yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I mean, if you yes, do it again publicly. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, you know, well, well, here's the thing is I wasn't doing it publicly there. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I know. Which is a whole other conversation. But, but I think that people need, you know, uh -huh. I have my moments. <laughs> I have my moments. Yeah. And the thing is, Kirk, I don't buy real estate there anymore. Yeah. I don't justify it anymore. Yeah. It, it's a tick in my spirit real, real quick. And that's when I say, Holy Spirit, I surrender myself to you. Mm -hmm. Take care of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Take care of it. Because I'm, I'm being human right now. Take care of it. <laughs> okay. Hang tight, family. We're going to be finishing this combo right after this break. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
And we're back. That leads me to this conversation that, that, that I've been dying to have with you. And trust me, as we get ready to track into this, none of this for me, and I know you know my heart now, none of this is even accusatory for me. This is more information. This is more uh, gaining how you have tracked through your faith passage. You know I mean, you raised Pentecostal. Yeah. So you know what it is to have church and know what it is to hear them drums popping and and that bass getting it in and folk running and dancing and singing in the spirit. And then now we have also seen you uh, through different seasons be inclusive of different ideologies, different social constructs and religious constructs. And did that lead you into this 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 title that you've been able to 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 kind of orchestrate of religious degradation? Can you unpack that a little bit for us and just tell us how you matriculated through your journey of this monotheistic approach when you were first Pentecostal to where you are right now? Yeah. Um, as a descendant of Africans and a descendant of indigenous people, there's a chip in my DNA that constantly reminds me of the importance of culture. One of the problems with America as a society is that it thrives on stolen cultures. <laughs> the culture of America or North America is what they stole and robbed and, and what they bastardized for other people. But I was raised as a Native American and an African. I'm second-generation Dahomeyan born in this country. My mother was first. Our mother was born in Dahomey. So I grew up with culture, you know, a language, a way of eating, a way of dressing, a way of thinking, a way of approaching life. My grandmother, who's Tisleki, Cherokee, dark-complected, passed as Black because... Being a Native American was worse than being a Negro. Wow. So she wow. passed as Black in the world, but she taught me Native American culture in the home and then went to church and hid it. Because mm. even the church was not accepting of her as a Native American. She was considered a savage. Wow. But as wow. I grew older and as I studied more and learned more, I learned the beauty of my culture. And I know that in every culture, whether it's Native American, African American, Irish, German, even the Russians, they have an approach to a spiritual philosophy. And in my study of Native American culture and spiritual philosophy, African culture and spiritual philosophy, European culture and spiritual philosophy, I found the common thread. And the common thread I found is God is. That's the common thread. Now, the cultural approach to it may be different. The theology may be different. The practice of it may be different. But whether it was uh, the Inipi on the reservation or the initiation in the village in Africa or the watch night in the apostolic church, the foundation is God is, and I want more of God. And what I've just been blessed really to do, because I am a bridge, I'm a bridge of people and cultures, is just integrate 
these things and support and facilitate the common threads. I would not bring my pipe into a First Baptist Church unless I was invited, but I am a pipe carrier for Native American people. What, what, to, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you know, Native American people, part of their spiritual practice is that they hold the sacred chanupa. A chanupa is the pipe. You know, in our Westerns, they say, oh, they smoke the peace pipe. Oh, but that's really okay. what it okay. is. Okay. It's called a chanupa. <clears throat> it is a pipe. And it's loaded sacredly, not with just tobacco, but with herbs and with prayer. And as it's passed around and people share in the prayer, in the consciousness, in the intention, and always for Native American people, it is peace and respect of mother, the land, respect of all people. So now I know that because that's part of the culture of who I am. But if you invite me to bring the message at, uh, you know, First Trinity uh, Church, I'm not going to bring my peace pipe. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm also not going to act like I don't have one. So it's really about the integration at the common places, Kirk. What separates the Baptist from the Methodist, from the Catholic, from the Jew, from the Native, is the theology. And so many of us have not given ourselves permission to evolve in our theology. And, and so we make other things wrong. I have a question. I got a question. Okay. I got a question. I got a question. I want to ask you. I want you to unpack for me. You know, there is this growing. First of all, I had no idea of your deep historic relationship with American Indians. I had no idea. I did not even know that until now. I, that <laughs> That is amazing to meet a woman of color that is so closely related to the original men and women of this country. Did not even know it. Didn't even yeah, know my that. grandmother was born on the reservation. My father's mother was born on the reservation. Amazing. In our country, as marijuana becomes more legalized in different states, and, and I know that this is not uh, within the context, uh, context of what you were discussing, but it brought to my attention, I want to know your opinions, because there's this growing move that I see within the framework of Christianity, the conversation of engagement, of marijuana, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you your thoughts and opinions of Christians engaging publicly in their use of marijuana, not, not for medicinal purposes, not for medicinal purpose, but just for social engagement. I will share with you a thought. I would love to get your response and your critique on that thought because you are the <laughs> Ian LeVanzant. <laughs> My view of, of, of a, a Christian, now mind you, is I can only speak for those that subscribe to what I subscribe to. I have no judgment or opinion of views of anyone outside of the construct of, of the community of belief that I subscribe to. It's that I see more men and women of faith subscribe to marijuana use more than they do their faith to be able to get the same results. Mm. <laughs> do you feel where I'm going? <laughs> yes, so, I do. <laughs> so, 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 and within that framework, for me, I say to my brothers and sisters that if you go to anything else for the resources that God himself was created to give to your spirit and your well-being, that thing, whatever that thing is, it can be marijuana, it can be drugs, it can be sex, it can be whatever it is, 
that that element at that time is now your source. Yeah. It has now become your God. And so I try to say it with humility, I try to say it with kindness and compassion, is because I do see within a younger group of Christians, this is now becoming a more common place that they engage in. Would love to hear <laughs> your thoughts on my view. Well, or on this, um, on, this on the new topic, cultural on uh, the, topic, on the, yes. On the, on the topic. Um, again, I think we have to look at culture because my first exposure to marijuana was as a soup. Because in the Caribbean, it's used as a herb. Wow. <laughs> People mm. cook with it. Wow. <laughs> they make a side with it and rub it on things. And of course, now they're selling the CBD oil for everything. But if you go up in the hills of Kingston or if you go to St. Elizabeth, you know, they grow it in the backyard and true. they use it medicinally. That so, is true. Very true. So I think the two things that happen, we got to understand that it's not the only one because salt, sugar to me, is the biggest addictive wow. thing, mind-altering drug on I the hate. planet. No, 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 no. That's, um, a, that's a strong argument. So it's, um, it's intention, number one. That's number one. And, and number two, it's about discipline, you know, um, what is your intention mm -hmm. for engaging in what I call uh, ingesting happy flowers? <laughs> <laughs> what you call what, what you Happy call? flowers. They happy flowers. You, you get them flowers, you be happy. <laughs> you know? um, and I, you know, I have no problem saying as a young person growing up in Brooklyn, um, it was called reefer. Right? Child, that's I, all. Child, okay. that's all. Hold on. Hold on. Before I came to Jesus, and I'm not talking about the European blue-eyed beetles, Jesus. They look like one of the BGs. I'm talking about, but before I came to Jesus, I smoked me some weed. I smoked. Yeah, I, me too. We, that's all we used to do is smoke. And I can tell you that when I smoked, I was not my best self. I was not my clear self. I was right. not my engaged self. And so, yeah, but, but. But uh, please no, continue. I smoke so much reefer. That's how old I am. I'm no <laughs> older than you. It wasn't. It wasn't even weed when I was smoking uh, it. It was reefer. Okay. <laughs> I smoked uh, so much reefer until the tips of my fingers were brown. <laughs> uh, <laughs> come on, OG. Uh, come oh, yeah. on, OG. Okay, I did. And you know that's when we weren't worried about uh, COVID or AIDS or yeah, nothing yeah, else. We passed that yeah. joint around the circle. Puff, puff, pass. Right. Puff, puff, pass, baby. That's right. <laughs> And the intention was to get high. Yes. That yes. was the intention. Oh, yeah. To take ourselves out of the condition or state of whatever mm -hmm. mind we were in mm -hmm. in order to feel good. Mm -hmm. um, now, I probably haven't smoked marijuana in over 50 years. Um, but again, it's intention. Why are you yes. doing it? I, I, Why and, are you doing and, it? And, and, and I think that is beautiful. Everything does boil down to intention. Everything yeah. you do. We saw you during the 90s. Uh, it, it was very obvious that your way of thinking and framework just made you part of this spiritual explosion that was happening. We saw you. We saw you everywhere. First of all, first of all, even though you are my OG, your voice was so sexy. When I started to see you on TV, when I started to hear you talking, I'm like, this woman got the most sexiest speaking voice. Now, first of all, you get that a lot, right? Yeah, the, I do. Yes, yes. See, and people think I can sing, and I say, I can't sing. I just don't sound good. <laughs> But I love your voice. And so now you were part of this, this explosion of combining spirituality with mental wellness. 
And I think that you and T.D. Jakes as being very significant figures in that movement. But as a black woman who has been doing this for a long time, what are your thoughts on the current wave? And this is very, very close to home for me right now. And, and, and I know you know I'm going when I say it's close to home. Spiritual yeah. thinkers in the social media space, it seems that if anyone now can create their own movement or following, but mental health is such a serious and a not handled well dangerous space yeah. for for our species. What do you think about this new trend that seems to be the movement? That that everybody's jumping, everybody's an expert, everybody has a solution, everybody is just making it part of the cultural fabric of our communication. You know, Black people need to be healed. And we need to be healed of things that don't afflict other people. And it's unfortunate that the younger generations, the Zs, the Ys, and some of the millennials don't understand, first of all, that mental health is simply health. Mm-hmm. And if there's a breakdown in the health, something needs to be healed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For us, what I, what I believe, this is Jesse, life according to Iyamla, pay me no mind. What's going on in the world today and, and, and how the world is changing and turning, we are being called to heal the imperfections in our DNA that come forward and come forth as mental health issues. And it's not clear to me that the establishment of psychological um, healers or mental health providers really understand the depth of the wounding and brokenness of people of color that is coming to the surface. They just don't because we weren't a part of the study. Amen. So for people of color, and I think people of color because as a red person, a brown person, and a black person, Native American, African American, and Latin. I've seen, I've seen us on so many levels. We have to take responsibility for the healing of our minds and the healing of our soul or our spirit. Um, and the further we get away from our culture as who we are as people of color, the further we get away from the things that give us life, and the more we embrace the things. You know, let me just say this because it's coming up in my spirit. Come on, come on, talk to us. I went to the the store yesterday, and my my great-grandson, he's four, he has a little allergies. And I have a lot of stuff on my trees on my land, so I went to get him some mucinex. And um, when I went to check out, and scanned it, the lights went off and the thing was beeping. And I was like, oh, Lord, because first of all, I barely go to the supermarket. (laughs) And it said, you have bought a restricted product. And I had to put in my date of birth, which I did, and it still blinked. So the clerk came over, she scanned her card, and then they cleared me to, to buy the Mucinex. And I said, wait a minute, hold up. This boy in Illinois bought an assault rifle and shot up 47 people, killed seven. Yeah. And the one before that, born in, at 18 years old, bought yeah. an assault weapon and shot up and killed up people. Yeah. And I can't buy some mucinex. Yeah, that's strong. That's strong. <laughs> Let me tell you, a that's culture, strong. Strong. a culture that operates in that way is antithetical to who we are as a people. Yes. People of color are a we people. Yes. Not an I people. Yes. 
I want a gun, but it's dangerous for us. Mm-hmm. This society doesn't think like that. Oh, so good. for people of color, our mental health is really going to be about us acknowledging the places that we are broken, who broke them, and doing the work to heal them within the confines that we find ourselves. Because the people who broke us are the people that want to develop the mental health that we need. That's not going to turn out well. And then I said, wait a minute, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. This this boy out here had an assault rifle kill up the people in them, seven people killed, and the ones in Buffalo and everything. But the brother in Akron, Ohio, was running away and ended up with 60 bullets in him. This is a problem. Yes. Yes. And if we don't start, not, it, 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 we can't be angry about it, not upset about it, and da, 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 but we've got to observe, Kirk. Yes. We've got to observe and tell the truth about what is going on, the impotency, the impotency of the laws in this country to address the needs of who we are as a people. You know, when a man is impotent, he go get him some Viagra. That's what he do. When a society is impotent, what do you do? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Do you continue to depend on the impotent society to heal you? No. (laughs) So, Doc, getting the mental help. We need it. That that, that black people need. I'm not going to even try to find a very formal word to describe it. A lot of us ain't got no money for that. Well, so yeah, what but do you we know do? What? what do we what? do when we ain't got no money for therapists? We ain't got okay. no money to sit down with somebody. What do we do? I'll tell you what I did. I prayed. I prayed. When I realized how out of my mind I was, Kirk, I was crazier than a bed bug. I was crazy to the fifth degree because of the pain. I was exponentially crazy. <laughs> Because of the pain that had been sold into me before I understood my purpose. I was crazy, Kirk. But I knew how to pray. And my prayer was sent. Help. Yes, sir. Help. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Help me. And then. Yes, sir. Things started to happen that didn't require money. Yes, sir. I started to hear things like, don't do that. Mm. Mm. Why are you doing that? Don't worry about that. Don't go here. But what means we have to get off the devices in order to listen within. That's why that time in the morning, that five minutes of prayer time, listening time, journaling time, meditation time, it's important. After two suicide attempts and a horrible two-year bout with postpartum depression, I never went to a therapist. I didn't. But I was on my knees. I was on my face. You know, just before they evicted me, the answer showed up. When I didn't have money to feed my kids, yes, the sir. answer showed up. Yes, sir. Because there is something. And see, that's what the society has has hypnotized us to believe, that we're on our own. So we don't look to the to the creator. We don't look to God. We don't look to the Holy Spirit. We don't even look to our ancestors. Blood runs in our veins, and that's what we're healing. We're healing their limitations because many of us lived the philosophy of our ancestors in a time when it's no longer necessary. Kirk, we're not fighting for survival no more. We're trying to flourish, but we still scrounge and scrape and like we're fighting for survival. 
There's no lack and limitation in what we need, but we believe it is because our ancestors were only given the pig feet and pig tail yeah. and the hog mars. Yeah. So we're still living from lack and limitation. We got to elevate that. That's what, how our mental health is going to grow. So you don't have money, but you can pray. There's churches. Get down in them church. There's a psychologist in every church. And every psychologist in every church need to be running a, a, a support group yeah. for, for single dads, for single moms, for these frightened elders. There's a psychologist in every church, a yeah. black psychologist yeah. who has some hi history and experience of what it's like to be black and crazy in America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And see, that's why people love you, though, because you've been so open. You've been so open with the world about your trauma and, and everything that you've experienced. I mean, you were abused as a child and being abused in relationships and, and just feeling like you were not enough and all of this. When... Did you internalize those feelings of not being enough? And is that something that you still, still the time struggle with? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I was black. I was dark. I was Native American and we were poor. My grandmother was a domestic worker. She used to bring me clothes, home clothes from her madam. She would feed uh, um, her madam's dog shrimp salad and we were eating beans. Wow. <laughs> you know? Wow. So, not being enough. I grew up in a time in this society when black people were not enough of anything. Yes. And, and you know, I'm talking about I'm a former panther, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's I remember dope. when Jesse Jackson had lots of hair. That's you know? <laughs> dope. That's dope. <laughs> so, um, and the not enoughness for many of us as women and women of color, it's etched into our consciousness because of the images that we grew up with. You know, that's why God bless a Susan Taylor and her Essence magazine. Mm -hmm. And now all of the young women who are coming up. Mm -hmm. But I grew up, I was bad. I was wrong. I was bad because I didn't fit into the society the way they thought I should. I was a savage and a nigga. Excuse me, Come everybody. on now. Okay. Come on. That's one of my favorite words. That's, that's one of my favorite words. I love okay. that word. <laughs> But I'm just saying, you know, we don't say it anymore because of its connotation. I still but say I grew it. up I in a time I when I was it. a savage, a savage Kirk and a nigga. Yeah. I mean, how do you overcome that? <laughs> I, have, I feel you. That's so real. Okay. You're so real. And, I love it. And I was a woman and I was dark yeah. and I was poor. What? Wow. <laughs> Not enough. I wasn't, I was unacceptable. And I lived that lack of acceptability for a very long time. And it comes up, you know, I'll, I'll tell you quite honestly, you know, it comes up for me now. <sighs> Help me, Holy Spirit. Because it's really painful. It comes up for me now mostly in our community. Um. I have never been invited to do a commencement speech at a black college. Never. Really? Never. But Yale has invited me. Princeton, Brown. I've, I've never received an award from any black organization. And not that these things matter, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got an NAACP Image Award for... They do for, matter. They do matter. For Fix My Life and the work that I've done, which is another pathology. 
that I've got to work hard to be noticed. I've got to work hard to be accepted. I've got to do, 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 do. When I've given so much love and I'm committed to my community, I don't care where I go or what I do, but it's been really painful that the people that I love and serve don't acknowledge me. And that will trigger up, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not. It was very hurtful to me to watch the NAACP give Meghan Markle and Prince Harry an image award. That broke my heart. Not because I didn't get one, but because of what that says to the young people watching. See, I come from Panther uh, community. I come from that. So I have that. But what the young people who don't have that, Prince Harry, really? <laughs> and Meghan Markle, really? An NAACP image award? For the people who were hosed and chased with dogs, mm. you take that name and you give it to the for what? Mm. What are my zeers and my exers looking at that? So it diminishes the value of the award. So mm. it, uh, that not enoughness, not good enough comes up for me sometimes when my people that I love so much don't acknowledge me. As a teacher and you know, I'm open. I, I, I do. And, and even in the broader um, spiritual healing uh, environment, the white teachers don't promote my work. I always promote their work. They have conferences and market in our community. They don't ask me to speak. People will come on my channels and, and my platforms and ask me about Brene Brown. Don't ask me about Brene Brown. Go ask Brene Brown about Ayala Van Zandt, because I've been around 30 years before she even hit the scene. Ouch. And I don't say that with judgment no, 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 or no, no, upset no. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I just see the imbalance, and, and even now, in, in who we are and how we treat each other. And so... Yeah, that stirs up for me sometimes. Not enough. Enough. You have once again shown this level of being vulnerable and 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 giving people a snapshot of what a leader that at times still finds herself crippled by life's realities and life's challenges. How you still walk with some of these wounds, and so uh, that was very. That was an amazing moment for all of us to hear your transparency about some of your experiences within the community that you are part of. And 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 uh, w with that, do you feel like you are enough now? Oh, yeah. I, I know I am. And particularly when I'm in relationship or fellowship, devotion with the Holy Spirit with God when I'm doing my work, uh, you know, because there's the other part of me that says there is only one Ian Levanzant. There is nobody as good as I am at what I do, and I can own that with grace and humility. Mm. Um, but still, I'm still a black woman, a Native woman in America, where I see how my sisters are demeaned, diminished, denied, yeah. Yeah. you know, so even if it's not my not enoughness, I stand with them in theirs and, yeah. and looking for ways and prayers and processes to, to help us overcome it. I did a, a online course during the pandemic 
on releasing the trauma of sexual abuse wow. because it still goes on in our community. It still goes on in our community and we're still trained not to talk about it and, and to secret it and to hide it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We have to look at that. We have to face it. We have to heal it. Part of the mental health. Because the men who do that, they're not really acting out sexually. They're acting out their worthlessness. Wow. They're acting out their hopelessness. They're acting out their disempowerment. They're acting out their not enoughness. Rape and, and abuse isn't about sex. It's about feelings of powerlessness and meaninglessness and worthlessness. Why, why do you feel in the faith community, and I'm not even talking about just uh, faiths that are Protestant, you know, you, you don't hear uh, in, in, in mostly any framework, whether it's Islam or even a synagogues, why, why do you feel that people that have a lens that they, that they activate their life from the faith that sex and sexuality continues to be the most difficult conversation for for us to put language to. It's just, it's just, it's in our DNA. Sex was used. That was the one thing that was used to demean and demoralize us. It's, I'm talking As about women, all people, though. First lady. It seems like that. It seems like that every community of faith. the prudishness. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, yes. That exactly. It, there it is. It, because we we. We weren't really, well, because it was bastardized from the beginning. It was used for the pleasure and the um, pleasure and the, I don't know what the other word is, where that word is, wherever you are, come to me. But it was used for the, the pleasure of, to make men superior. Mm. And it got all twisted up in there. And it wasn't used for the godly purpose of... Procreation and connection. Yes. Sex is about connection. Yes. It's about how we meld together, how we integrate, how our souls merge and become one. Yes. Which is what love is about. Yeah. And it became about this makes me feel good and you got to make me feel good. So it got bastardized early on in, in society. And, you know, Kirk is amazing because even if you look back in biblical times when they were doing all the conflammation, <laughs> Conflama ladies and gentlemen, conflammation. <laughs> it was an altered state of mind that made them feel good. The same thing that people do with happy flowers or with alcohol <laughs> or with shopping or with whatever. It was an altered state of mind that made them feel good. And so, they made it wrong and bad. They made it wrong and bad because they had the wrong intention. So that's what I think. I, I, you know, sex was given to us and it's, it's natural instinct in us because of the purpose that God initially had for it. The oneness, the integration, the, the connection with one another. And, you know, you don't have to do that on video watching a girl or a boy. That's the bastardization of it. But yeah. society yeah. did that. Yeah. And they gave it the wrong meaning. I love but your answer. Sex is good. I sex love your, is good. I love your answer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's just been amazing to me that 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 people of faith cannot seem to get comfortable after all of these generations. But you are comfortable and have been comfortable in so many platforms talking about every subject. And one of your most famous historic platforms was 
Iyanla fixed my life. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk oh. about it. But would you do anything differently? No, I would not. I would not do anything differently because I prayed about what to do. God told me what to do, and I was obedient. And the one time I was disobedient, I suffered greatly. And that was in my show with DMX. I was not obedient to what, what happened God told to that? me to do. I, I, I don't remember that. DMX was my guest. And what people don't know is I prayed about every guest, and I got clear guidance and direction about what to do in each and every show, how to do it, what to do. And it, it took a while for the producers and the network to kind of catch on. But DMX was a guest early on in my, in my season. And what um, the Holy Spirit told me was he had never been consecrated, never been baptized, never been anything. And he had a call on his life and an anointing. And if he were ever hoping to get into it, that he needed to be consecrated. And the Holy Spirit gave me the scenario. And, you know, you have to take these things and make them television worthy. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And uh, I was told what to do. And I presented it to the producers and the network. And early on, you know, they thought I was just a strange bird. I was weird as hell to them. <laughs> Why do you think that was? <laughs> because it was nothing like me on TV. Mm -hmm. It wasn't no script. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't contrived. It was raw in the moment. I don't need a script. Don't tell me what to say. I'm going in. The Holy Spirit's going to guide me. And, you know, producer's job is to yeah, lay everything yeah. out minute by minute. And, yeah. da, 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 da. and I'm like, no, I don't need that. I don't need that. And so when I came forward with these ideas about what to do and how to do it, it was so off the beaten path, so far out on the leading edge that they just, now everybody's doing it, but <laughs> back then, eight, nine years ago. So I was told exactly what to do for DMX and how to do it. And I let them talk me out of it from a production. Oh, we can't do that because of this. We can't do this because of that. And I compromised and until I ended up not doing most of what I had been guided to do. And that show with DMX was just, it was a disaster. It was just a disaster. What was a disaster about it? Number one, I don't think he got what God wanted him to have, which was to consecrate his life, which I could have done as a minister, as a priest, as whatever. I could have done it. Number two, I was functioning on human power up against a man who was in an altered state of consciousness. So I was meeting force with force because I wasn't in alignment with what the Holy Spirit told me to do. So he cussed me. He called me every name. And I don't want to speak ill of the dead, you know, and he's a, his children are here. It just, it didn't meet God's purpose. It was very painful for me when I, when I went back and looked at it. It was very painful. And the biggest thing for me was that I don't think he got what God intended for him to get. Because I was disobedient, and I never did it again. Never. I don't care what it was. If they said, well, we can't do that, I said, okay, so we're not doing this show. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever heard of this. I don't even remember this. Really? I'm going to go back and well, I'll try to try to find it. But one thing I can say is that your willingness to be able to do the self-analysis of oh. whatever that process is because 
I mean, you know, as, as, as a television celebrity, uh, rarely do you ever see that level of reflection and acknowledgement and whatever level of personal accountability that you've put in front of you, I think it's still, once again, admirable. And it just shows you why you are my OG and why you are the legend. <laughs> and let me tell you what I honor about this conversation with you is there, the, there are different nuances about our faith journey that we see differently. And I think as Americans, the only way that we're going to survive in this country is to give people that we see differently the opportunity to have their views and we fight for theirs like we want them to fight for ours. Absolutely. Is that I've got to fight for an atheist view in, in America because I want for that atheist when, when he's in front of Congress and there's something that comes up that could take away my rights. I want him to fight for me too. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and I want you to know that this for me is honorable that I can sit with the legend that I can learn some things there. There may be nuances that, that may not necessarily speak to the journey that I'm on, but it does not cancel out that there are nuggets that this legend has given me, that has convicted me, <laughs> that has challenged me. And I want you to know that I'm humbled by that. Do you agree with my view of how we should approach humanity in our country? That we cannot have a country that we force everyone that subscribes to being an American to align to every ideal that we have. And when they don't, we cancel them. Well, our country, our society, and forgive me, Christians. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I, I, you can't yes. say it, I can't. Yes. No, 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 I, I can say it. I can say it. Yes. People don't consider me a Christian. I always say, well, what does that mean? Mm. What does that mean for you? Because I consider myself a Christian. I consider myself a Christian. The Bible is in my foundation. Mm -hmm. I'm a Bible student. I'm a Bible. I wouldn't say Bible scholar, but I certainly teach it. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that I can't be a Native American and a Christian. That doesn't mean I can't be a Yoruba priestess and a Christian. But then how about this, though, First Lady? How about a Christian hearing something that you say and they make the decision, Okay, well, that may not necessarily align with my view, but that right there did. Instead of now we have this conversation of what you are. Yes. And what you are not, that, yes. that's problematic that's, for me. That's dangerous. Yes. And, and it impacts our mental health. Yes. Because, you know, genetically, in our DNA, in our, in our, what comes through our ancestry, one of the worst things um, people of color specifically, and I know our audience is much broader than mm -hmm. that, but we seem to be having a lot more challenges than some people ain't having. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but specifically for people of color, we don't want to offend Jesus and mm. we don't want to go to hell. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So it, it's in our DNA. And it's driven it's, by it, fear. It's driven yes, by fear. I was just getting ready to say that. It's so we are so afraid of doing the wrong thing till we uh, cancel people trying to do the right thing. And it's all good. You know, God made the poodle and he made the St. Bernard. God made the elm and he made the oak. There are many paths, many, many, many avenues, and we're all going to the same place. Like I said, my study, God is, and we all want more of God, you know? And even if you don't know you want more of God because you call yourself an atheist or an agnostic or whatever, there's something godly that you want, even mm. if it's love or joy or peace or, mm. or truth or whatever, all of that, that's godly. Mm. You don't have to call it God, whatever you call it. 
Let's do that. There are things about Lutherans that I have different views upon. There are things within my own Protestant faith that I differ from. But to take a platform and make it my mantra, yeah, to be able to lead a movement that is built on me disagreeing with you takes away that, that there's something that I can learn, that there's something powerful that a Muslim can say. And it does yes. not cancel out my monotheistic belief in Jesus Christ. And I just right. think that if America is going to survive and they're not turning to anarchy and, and, and my fear of the civil war that could easily break out in America. Oh, because- it's coming. It's coming. You better know that. It's coming. It has has to, because we are seeing the impotency of this system. But Kirk, I'm not going to let you get away with this. Uh Uh-oh. Because I remember. Uh Uh Uh-oh. I remember. Uh Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Early. Uh Frankly. Uh-oh. 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 What's going on? Jumping and singing and how the old ladies with the big boobs and the cross your heart play text bra, how they denounce you. Okay. I remember, uh. <laughs> and you didn't let up. You came back again. JC, are you with me? <laughs> oh, yeah. We haven't turned going I nowhere. It. I love okay? it. I, I know love how they denounced you. Do and you I- know I still get it? Do you know I still get it? Hold on, hold on, First Lady. We just did the BET Awards. <laughs> I had on a I had on a red suit. I saw you. I saw you. I had on a red suit. <laughs> Do you know there were comments? There were people coming and saying, why he got the devil's clothes on, I that know. red. And I'm just looking at these comments going, after all these years, I'm still Man. getting all of this criticism for every little thing. It's the red suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and where in the Bible did it say that the Satan wore red? I'm trying to figure out what, what chapter is that. Please, somebody listen to this. Find me the chapter that the devil got a red, <laughs> nice two-piece couture suit right. and, and some nice red shoes. I just need to know. But I'm not going to even do that. I remember that back then, too. And Yeah, and, and I used to pray for you and call, you know. But again, Kirk, it's because we don't understand our culture. Yeah. So we ascribe meaning to things based on the dominant culture in which we find yes, ourselves. Yes. Because red is a color of passion. Red is a color of of creativity. Red is a color of belonging, foundation, and structure. And, so yeah, baby, you wear and, your red suit. And, 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 it look good on me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Will you ever do TV again? You know, I I would like to go behind the camera. I would like to go behind the camera and produce some things. I don't necessarily need to be in front of the camera. There are a few things that I want to do, but I want to go behind the camera. I want to produce something for young people, particularly young girls, you know, to let them know that twerking and and weaves and uh, that that's not all there is. And I, so, yeah, so that's how I want to do television. Uh, and if the right thing comes along and the Holy Spirit gives me permission, I would do it. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to help me show some love to our guest today. She's given us some nuggets, some blessings. She even told us that she used to get high back in the day. (laughs) And uh, we are still getting high on her message even today. Help me show some love for Dr. Ianna Vincent. Thank you, Kirk Franklin. I pray for you. I love you. I bless you. Continue to do your work. 
and and get you a pink suit next time. <laughs> ah! I already got one. I already got one. <laughs> I love you, my queen. Love you. I love you, Take my queen. Care. What an honor. Thank you. <laughs>